You're listening to This Week in E-Commerce, the Ecom Nation podcast. Dive into the top online retail headlines with your hosts, Paul Waddy and Mal Chia. Let's load up the cart. This Week in E-Commerce, episode 22. I am Mal Chia, flying solo today. Paul has been traveling recently, recently coming back from the Gold Coast. So I am flying solo for episode 22. So we are going to get straight into it. It has been a busy last week in e-commerce and the retail industry. So we're going to kick off first with a story around Woolworths and Australia Day, their recent Australia Day controversy. Now, this is a post which I made on LinkedIn last week, um, very shortly after Peter Dutton, the opposition leader, um, decided to, uh, to come out and say that Australians should be boycotting Woolworths or Workworths, as I believe he called them, um, for deciding not to stock Australia Day merchandise. Now, in Woolworths' initial press release to to make the announcement, um, they did say that this was due to low sales of Australia Day merchandise, um, and then they also then said something about um, which I believe was was around the date as well and and people's decision and and their their feelings around that date and getting involved in that discussion. Um, that to me was less important. It was more to me around the fact that they made a business decision not to not to sell merchandise. Um, and they could have done it without actually making that additional statement, but you know that's their right to make that statement. And I believe that's actually kind of what has led to a lot of what's been happening lately. Um, and Peter Dutton coming out and saying that corporations shouldn't be dictating how people should feel and what people should be allowed to celebrate or not. Now, this is something which, um, you know, as a as an unabashed capitalist um, who who loves our, you know, living in a democracy, um, the ability of corporations and any business, a private business, to be able to make those sort of decisions, um, to be able to choose what they sell, um, is really at the core of, of what makes us great. If I want to go out and create um, a line of activewear which is only targeting, uh, you know, people who are middle-aged men aged 25 to 44 who live in the inner suburbs, it's my right to do that. I can go out and create that. And along with that, I need to then, as a private citizen and as a private enterprise, deal with the repercussions from that, whether it be um, a, a, a smaller market, addressable market, those sort of things. But that's my call to make as a private citizen and as someone who is running a business in this country. And I feel that was Woolworths' call to make. Um, but this is something which, which they should be allowed to do as well. Anyone should be allowed to do, just as long as you're not hurting anyone. Whether you are participating or contributing to the discourse, I feel is secondary to that. In the same way that in America, uh, you have brands like Chick-fil-A, who many, who, who, as long as they've been around, don't open on Sundays and they don't open on Sundays for religious reasons. And they're very proud of the fact that, you know, that they are a Christian business. Um, so do follow a lot of very traditional Christian values. And whether you like them or not, um, people calling for them to boycott it or how dare they do that as a private business, they're allowed to make that call that they want to support Christian values and be able to, you know, cater to whatever that means. They still make bloody good chicken sandwiches, um, and are still incredibly popular. Matter of fact, they're continuing to grow and grow and grow because people can choose with their wallets whether they want to support that viewpoint or not. But at the end of the day, they just want a good chicken sandwich and they don't mind the fact that they open on a Sunday. In the same way, Nike, many, many years ago with Colin Kaepernick, decided to come out with a really strong campaign, which was all about supporting Colin Kaepernick, who decided to 
take the knee rather than stand for the national anthem due to um, due to police brutality and other instances of racial injustice in in America. So calling for a change there. That was something which, as a private business, they were allowed to do. They were allowed to make that call and say, we want to support this and we want to get behind Colin Kaepernick and other athletes and other people who are making a stand and get behind that. Now, there's a few arguments for that. One uh, is that there were a lot of people who came out and said, how dare Nike do this? How dare Nike support um, you know, people who, who, who would take the knee to the national anthem? Um, because as most Americans are, they're extremely patriotic. And the national anthem, anthem is just something you don't fuck with. But at the same time, Nike also made a very calculated decision that people, that they were on the right side of history. That by making the stand, they were able, they were going to endear themselves more to people who felt that way, who shared those beliefs about police brutality, racial injustice in America, uh, and also about Colin Kaepernick as well, and decided to double down on that. Uh, and they actually saw an increase in shareholder value as a result of that. Now, bringing you back to Woolworths and Australia Day, I'm not necessarily saying that this is something which Woolworths did as a, as a calculated decision to try to increase shareholder value or to increase sales or anything like that. They just they decided to make a business decision not to sell Australia Day merchandise, which is all I feel that this is. Now, other brands such as Drake's Supermarkets, um, which is part of the IGA Foodland Group in, in South Australia, uh, John Paul Drake, um, South Australian, did come out and make a comment about that as well, about how brands shouldn't be making that decision, who shouldn't be making that call, and people should be making that for themselves, um, and that they would be continuing to sell Australia Day merchandise at all the Drake's Foodland stores. Now, again, as a private citizen and as a private enterprise, he can make that call. He can make that call if they want to sell it or not in the same way that it can't just be something for the consumers, but businesses need to play by a different set of rules and cater to everyone. So while I don't disagree with what JP Drake did say about people being able to make that decision themselves and that he himself will be celebrating Australia Day and everyone should have that freedom to choose, that's the point. It's his choice. It's He, he has the freedom to choose in the same way that every business has a freedom to choose what they can want to or don't want to get behind. And they can then deal with any repercussions which do come from that. But ultimately, if you take away that freedom to be able to sell or buy whatever you choose, then that kind of cuts at the core of what we are. It cuts at the core of what it means to live in a democratic capitalist society. Now, our second story for the episode is all about Uniqlo. Uniqlo, the Japanese fashion retailer, has been in the news a lot lately. Um, so two things. One was that they recently recorded the most profitable month in their history, um, where in the last quarter through to November, they posted a 25% jump in first quarter operating profit, uh, which was just over $1 billion USD. Um, and that was in the three months from up to November. And that was up almost a hundred plus million dollars, um, over that same period last year. Um, also further to that as well, they're currently on track for a full year operating profit of 450 billion yen, which is roughly in Australian dollars, 4 billion Australian dollars. So again, some huge numbers there from a retailer 
who is really on the up and up. And a lot of this is to do with their overseas growth at the moment. So in particular, they've cited their, their growth in China, um, but also in other overseas markets as well. And if you've been watching this brand as I have for the last several years, you can see how they're doing it as well, where they really had this really strong focus, not just on affordability, which is after all what, what one of the key value propositions of Uniqlo, H&M and similar brands like that. So Zara, H&M, Gap, Forever 21, Uni Uniqlo are in that mix, but growing at a much more rapid pace. And part of that is because they've been able to carve out a bit of a niche in terms of what their brand story is all about, where their brand isn't just about cheap and cheap products, they've also really focused on innovation as well. So they've got a clear brand message, which is about Uniqlo is a modern Japanese company that inspires the world to dress casual. So really focusing on innovation uh, in their products, in their garments, in order to set themselves apart from from other brands in that space. And I think they've done that reasonably successfully, actually very successfully by these numbers. They're all around the world. Their stores are, are, are real testaments to the brand. Um, they're, they're, they're fantastic, super modern places to go into. Their website is full of great product and actually a pretty good user experience as well. A matter of fact, their in-store experience was the first place where I ever had um, a checkout where all you needed to do was put your garments which you were buying in a tub. It would just calculate it all for you and then all you had to do was pay. That was a magical experience. So they really fostered that and really championed that a lot. And when I talked about their products before, it has flowed through two of their products as well, where one of their most recent products was named as the handbag of the year. That was their mini round, so their round mini shoulder bag, uh, which, which won a number of awards, uh, in the last, in the last 12 months, um, and has sold hundreds of thousands, if not millions of, um, units after being going viral on TikTok. So part of the reason why I went viral is because of its unique design. The bag can fit a lot in it. So this, this video from this influencer actually showed uh, everything which this influencer was able to pack in their bag, which was pretty substantial. And based off the back of that, it became the it bag for, for last year. Um, and it retailed for, for a relatively, um, for a relatively modest sum. I think it retailed for about, uh, Fourteen dollars, fourteen euros, or uh, thereabouts. So, so not too excessive at all. Um, however, Shein, the Chinese fashion retailer, uh, very soon after, as they normally do, came in and copied that design. And this is something which which they do quite a lot of. So, Shein um, are quite famous for doing this, uh, where where they'll find a trend, something which is trending, and then they'll jump on it very quickly, um, and then they will make their own version of it. So that's kind of how they've been able to build their business um, over the last several years. Now, they've been very aware of these issues um, with their with their supply chain in terms of their own manufacturing, design and manufacturing, but also with um, the, 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 the merchants who sell on the Shein platform as well, but haven't really done a whole lot about it. And to be fair, not much has been done to them about it either, besides it being a fairly known problem out there. However, it seems that Uniqlo are kind of taking a stand now. Actually, they full on are taking a stand where they are now suing Shein, particularly Shein Japan, <clears throat> in violation of the Unfair Com Competition Prevention Act, um, which 
is asking them to put an immediate stop to sale of sales of the imitation product, namely the bag, uh, and then also compensate them for any damages which has been incurred as well. And that would be a fairly easy one to be able to calculate. And then obviously through this um, disclosure process, she and we need to provide numbers of, of how many um, were sold. The reason why I bring this up is that it does raise an interesting conundrum because we do live in a world right now where there is a lot of copying which is going on. So it's, it's pretty common practice, particularly in fashion, to see things which when they start to trend, everyone jumps on to that trend, whether it be functionality within a garment, such as, you know, it's got a particular utility or a particular form or function. That's something which people will jump, jump on and, um, and <clears throat> will jump on and copy. Similarly, with design features as well. So, if they see that there's there's a particular design aesthetic, there's a particular kind of pattern which is working well, brands will typically jump on something like that and and copy and make their own version. Now, the only exception is that if it is a direct straight copy, that's something which is which is clearly copyright infringement, um, and it's very very easy to prove that you can show that this pattern looks exactly like that pattern. Therefore, people can be um, people can 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 be easily misled by it. But you can't copyright a design idea or a particular type of aesthetic. So what I'm saying is things like, let's say, puffy writing, let's say, which is something which White Fox Boutique have really made popular in the last couple of years. And it's kind of become synonymous with White Fox, you know, the White Fox puffy style writing. That was actually started by another brand, but another brand who were obviously not as successful with it catching on. But it was a trend which and, and, a, and a style which uh, which White Fox liked. They started creating their own version of it, and now it's something which has become synonymous with them. In that case, something like that isn't protectable because it's an idea. It's not copying the exact design. They're just taking inspiration for something and using it there. Same thing as well with form and function, where it's something which, if it's taking inspiration, that's generally okay. But if it's a direct copy and it's directly duplicating another item and passing it off as that, that's something which is then enforceable and is then protectable. Um, you know, now, I don't know whether Shein, uh, sorry, I don't know whether um, whether Uniqlo actually filed some sort of patent um, to be able to protect it. Uh, chances are not because the patent, the patent process is extraordinarily time-consuming and expensive, not that that's an issue for them, but it's something which a lot of retailers don't have access to. So when thinking about coming up with new features and new innovations in the market, you really do need to think a lot about how protectable is this? Um, and is, is this something which can be easily copied? Because chances are it can be easily copied. And that's the kind of the nature of the world which we live in, particularly when you look at a company like Shein as well, which are manufacturer in China, um, you know, who are manufacturing in China, uh, who, who do have access to, to a lot of um, a lot of the designs there. It's pretty common practice in China for innovations to get copied um, and then used elsewhere. And Shein is, is just one of many, many examples uh, of, of, of retailers who, who are doing that a lot. If you look on Timu, same thing. You see a lot of knockoffs on there as well. Alibaba, AliExpress, same thing as well. You do see a lot of copying which is going on. So you really need to think about if the form and function or design can be copied very easily, how else can I protect it? And that's where your brand, like we always say, becomes really important to make sure that you do have a strong brand so that people will accept no substitutes. 
as the old saying goes. So it's really important to make sure that your brand actually stands for something so that people will look at you and go, well, hang on. Well, I could buy what may be the same thing from you, so from, from the competitor, or I could buy from you because I trust your brand better because you are better known for quality. So it's making sure that you are clear about what that is so that you can communicate that in your messaging so that you can make sure that people know why they should choose to buy you, that all things being equal, why they should choose to buy you rather than your closest competitor. Because ultimately, that is the main moat which you which you have to build, particularly as more copying, you know, more that, that, that line between what's the difference between product A and product B gets more and more blurred. You need to be really clear in terms of what that differentiated value which you're providing. Now, next Tuesday, I am going to be teaching a webinar about this where I'm going to be taking people through what I've called the value perception gap, which is really the secret to understanding how do you actually differentiate your product in market? You know, how, do you, how do you know what to push on? How, how much to differentiate on? And a lot of that does come down to price and how do you actually price your product? And if you are going to be pricing above what people are expecting, what do you need to make sure you're thinking of there? So we're going to cover that off next Tuesday. Um, make sure you go to ecomnation.com.au or find us on LinkedIn so you can find the link there if you want to check out that webinar. If you are listening to this after the webinar, though, um, we will be making the recording available. So again, just reach out to us on the website and we'll be able to get a copy to you. Now, the final story which I'm going to talk about today is the logistical tsunami, which is soon to hit Australia. Now, I'm going to be pulling from a few different reports here, um, but the but really, it's a combination of two stories. One is about the ongoing labour dispute, which is going on between um, DP World, who are the largest port operator in Australia, and the Maritime Union of Australia, of which most maritime port workers do tend to be members of, of, of this union. Due to the ongoing dispute, it has meant that there is a two to eight week backlog in terms of shipments um, arriving into Australia, being landing in port, which amounts to about 48,000 shipping containers, which are now currently sitting in docks around the world, off the docks, I should say, waiting to get unloaded. Now, the impact of this is that there are now fewer new products which are coming into the market right now in Australia because people's shipments have been delayed. I know from my experience, I have a number of clients who I work with uh, who are currently awaiting stock, which they're expecting earlier in January. So now they're waiting a couple of weeks. Some of of them are waiting from last December as well. So because of these delays, everything is now being pushed closer and closer together, which means in some cases, particularly with some of the fashion brands I work with, they're now expecting about two to three months worth of stock to arrive within about a within about a two or three week period. What this would do is similarly to what happened with the retail industry a couple of years ago, back in 2022, when post-COVID and there were, well, during the height of COVID, when there were still a lot of shipping delays, things sold out during COVID. And then we were trying to get things restocked. Things were being slow. Manufacturing was slow. Shipping was slow. And then everything was delayed. And then 2022, we kind of had this perfect storm again, where a lot of shipments were delayed. People were waiting on stock, and then you would see multiple seasons arrive in a very short period of time. And affected everyone from small retailers through to the bigger boys in town as well. So in this case, you know, we, we saw 
fashion retailers, like I said before, being uh, receiving multiple shipments in very, very close succession and then having to sell them through very quickly um, and then having to put them a discount in order to keep all that stock moving through because they couldn't hold physically hold that much in their warehouse um, or just needed to make sure that they were making way because they could see that there was more coming. But also in terms of the bigger ones as well, you can see even with retailers like Nike, where they had a lot of shipments come in very, very quickly. They were releasing new sneaker styles, you know, much faster than, than, than what they were normally used to. And for the first time ever, having to go on discount as well, which you almost never see from brands like Nike. And all that is due to the shipping delays. Those shipping delays are now going to are now happening to us again. So I'm expecting that you're going to see that coming along um, and see the impact of that very soon. With and you'll probably experience this yourself with more products which are being held up. So really starting to think now about how do you actually stage that out? Can you actually push in, push some shipments further out? If you do have products which you've ordered which are due to arrive maybe in around mid year, do you need to push that out so you don't become overstocked? This is where making sure you are all over your ABC analysis and Shopify, making sure you're all over how much C grade, B grade and A grade inventory you have on hand to make sure that you are clearing through them pretty quickly. What you don't want is to be left with a whole lot of C grade inventory, which you then have to mark down, which then impacts your ability to sell your B and A grade, which you usually wouldn't need to mark down just simply because you're sitting on so much of them. So thinking through really clearly now, what is your strategy to deal with this? Not understanding what, what products do you have currently waiting to get unloaded? What products do you have which are about to ship? And making sure you do have that plan in place because you don't want to get stuck in this situation again. But what's compounding it again this year, particularly around this time of year, for anyone who's been manufacturing in China for a while, knows that around Lunar New Year, which is at the start of February, China tends to go, well, China does go completely dark. What I'm saying is that in terms of a lot of the factories in China, um, a, lo a lot of those factories will close for around three to six weeks over that period. They close so that people can go home to visit their families and spend, spend Lunar New Year with their families, and they take a little while to reopen after that and get back to firing again. What this means is that a lot of people have put in orders for products early on um, to try to push them through as much as possible or to make sure that they're right on the docket, ready to start manufacturing once everything comes back um, from Lunar New Year. So there's already going to be a glut of products which are going to be manufactured around this time, which is going to be compounding things even more um, with, with what I talked about before with, with the issues at port. So with all this manufacturing, which is still being done in China, because um, even though a lot of diversification has happened into countries like um, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Vietnam, a lot of the world's manufacturing still comes out of China. So you're going to see this problem compounded even more with a lot of orders now being being uh, sorry, a lot of products and which which have been ordered going to be manufactured and then going to hit the same issues which is, we're currently experiencing. But in addition to that, it's not just Lunar New Year; it's also the recent attacks which you may have heard of, where the pirates are attacking vessels um, who are on the shipping routes from China as well. So the, the the shipping routes which go from Asia to Europe. Are currently being attacked by currently being attacked by pirates, which have now led to um, 
rerouting in through the Suez Canal as well as some other areas as well. This is actually adding additional fuel costs, but also adding an additional 10 days to the journey as they look to avoid um, some of the danger zones there. What this means is that, again, there's going to be further delays to shipping, uh, which is going to slow things down even more, but also means that there's going to be increased costs as well, which need to be passed on. And really, those those costs get passed on to the retailer, who then chooses if they want to pass it on to the consumer or not. And in most cases, that doesn't get passed on the consumer, which means that your margins are going to get squeezed just that little bit more as that past, as that cost gets shared around. And we've only been experiencing the last year or two, some of that coming back to normal and shipping kind of coming back to normal. But now we're going to see that start to increase again, or those costs increasing, those delays start to increase. So if you're not watching it, please make sure that you do watch things really, really closely to make sure that you know you that that you are factoring in these longer lead times, but also those higher prices as well. Particularly if you're going to be expecting a lot more stock to be arriving in a short period of time, you don't want to get caught in the trap of having the discount and absorbing those higher prices into an already squeezed margin for there. So that's all we've got time for this week. Paul will be back with me next week. Uh, thank you all everyone for listening. Um, if you do listen to us, uh, make sure you do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube as well. Um, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.